So I've been getting a lot of questions recently on how taxes work in the stock market right here in Canada. Questions like what tax slips can I expect to receive? What happens with my dividend stocks or my US companies or my taxable account, et cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what we're gonna be covering in today's video. But I did wanna start things off with actually a pop quiz and you can feel free to leave your comments down below. They say in life that there are three certainties, death, taxes, and blank. Does anybody know what that third one is? You're probably not thinking the same one that I am, but I hope you guys enjoy the video. Are going to remain undefeated at home. Brady wants the three to go. And here's the three. Death, taxes, and JV's threes. Take me out, coach. I'm done looking at it. What's going on you guys and welcome back to the channel. If it is your first time here, my name is Brandon. As always, we do have our investing academy as that first link down below if you're a beginner to the stock market looking for training. But I'll assume for this video that you guys have a base understanding of the TFSA and RRSP. That's quite important when we're talking about the different accounts. And if you haven't seen my previous two videos that I've done on those, I would highly recommend taking a moment to go watch those and then come back to this video because that will just make things a whole lot clearer. I'll kind of expect that you know that stuff. I'd also like to say right off the bat as a quick disclaimer, I am not a professional accountant by any means. I'm just sharing with you kind of the way that I view taxes and how they apply to me as an investor. So if it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, always be sure to consult an actual professional. Go deal with your accountant accountant if you have any big money decisions to make. But let's start today's video off with the bare basics and talk about the three main pillars of income that you can earn in the stock market. That would be capital gains for one, there would be dividends as a second option, and then you would have interest income from fixed income, from bonds, uh, GICs, investments of those sorts. And we'll start off today by recapping capital gains because this is probably the most popular and most common type of gain that you would experience in the stock market. And a capital gain quite simply in English and basic terminology is when you buy a stock at some point and you sell it down the road for a higher price. And a basic example is if I purchase a stock today for $1,000 and a year from now or two years from now, I sold that stock for $2,000, that would be a $1,000 gain. Essentially, you can think of this as your profit, not the entire position, but just the amount that was earned as profit from the stock actually appreciating in value. And the way that it works here in Canada is that in that hypothetical example, assuming I made a $1,000 profit or a $1,000 capital gain of that capital gain, 50% of that, half of that has to be included and added on to my income for the year. Now to clarify, that is not, we're not paying 50% tax on our gain. We are taking that gain and we are including half of that. So in this example, hypothetically, we would take $500 and we would tack that onto our income for the year. And then we'd go on and pay our marginal rate on that. So there isn't uh, you can't just say exactly what you'd be paying, depending on what tax bracket you're in, you will be paying different amounts, but it will always be 50% of the profit or 50% of the gain when you sell the stock. And I shouldn't say, I'll actually clarify something right off the bat. We are in a quite a unique time at the moment given the pandemic and given COVID and given all of the money that the government has issued out to help with some relief funds, there is a lot of talks right now of this capital gains rate or the inclusion rate actually bumping up to 75%. So as of today, uh, 
I don't know how, when you're watching this video or how long this will go on, it's 50%. You include 50% of your gain. That said, it's very possible that by the next federal budget, things do change because everyone's out taking their serve money. The government has to make it back some one way or another. So keep in mind, that is a possibility. It does bump up from time to time. But in general, we would say 50% of your gain has to be added to your taxes. And that's applicable in the year that you sell your stock. So it's not, you know, if I buy a stock today and it, it does really well, like Tesla, and it goes up and up and up. If I don't decide to sell that stock and I haven't realized that gain, I don't have to pay any taxes on that until the year that I sell it. That could be five years down the road. You can actually defer and push off your gains like that. We're going to talk about some tips at the end of this video, but very simply keep in mind capital gains, you include 50% of that, and then you're going to pay it at your marginal rate. FYI of the options that we covered today, this would be the most favorable form of income if we're looking at it from a tax perspective, because we're only including half of that as part of our income. Moving along into the second type of income, which would be dividends. And dividends are quite simply when you are a shareholder or when you own certain stocks or you're a, a shareholder in a company, certain companies will reward you with dividends and they'll essentially pay you a little kickback. Typically every quarter, some companies uh, will pay you monthly, but at the end of the day, when you receive those dollars into your account, or even if you drip them back in, which we'll touch on in a second, that is income that you're receiving and that is subject to tax. They are the second most favorable of our list today in particular, Canadian eligible dividends. Pretty much any publicly traded company that you come across here in Canada will pay eligible dividends. And the reason that this is the second most favorable type of income, if we're looking at it from a taxation standpoint, is simply due to the fact that we have here what's called a dividend tax credit. This is a federal credit and there is a provincial one as well, which essentially helps lower the cost uh, lower the tax burden that we pay on these dividends. And the reality is, actually before this video, I spent I spent over a 30 minute call speaking with my accountant and I called him specifically for this. I said, I'm filming a video. What do I say about the dividend tax credit? Because to be completely honest with you guys, it is quite a complex formula. It's quite a complex uh, area or it's just quite complex to understand this. And from a fundamental level, I think what we need to know is that with Canadian eligible dividends, the system that we operate here on is what's called a gross up system. And essentially for our taxation purposes, we gross up the dividends that we receive by about 30 or not by about by 38%. You could take 138% of your dividends and that's actually what you would report when you file your taxes. However, you do get a dividend tax credit from the government of 15% of that grossed up amount. And really the thought process behind this is that if we recall and if we understand what a dividend really is, I know people like to think a dividend is just a payment that you get from owning a stock, but in reality, if you understand truly that when you buy a stock, you are a shareholder of the company, you are becoming a part owner of that company, the company is then sharing with you their profits. A dividend is after they pay their expenses, they do everything they got to do, they pay their taxes, they're left with profit at the end of the day. The company has already paid tax on that and they are kicking it back to us as shareholders. This is the way that they decide to pay us. And to avoid, primarily to avoid double taxation in terms of the uh, the company paying an extremely high tax rate and then again us as in, uh, individuals paying a tax rate on top of that, we do have this gross up system. And again, the calculations are 
they do throw me for a loop. But what you need to understand at the end of the day is that if you are investing in Canadian dividend stocks, this is the second most favorable type of income. This does not apply for foreign stocks. If we're looking at US stocks, they don't get this tax credit. This is for Canadian dividend stocks, such as a company like TELUS or such as a company like Fortis. I'd like to clarify something at this point, which I very likely should have started this video off with. But what we're talking about today in terms of capital gains, in terms of these dividend taxes, and in terms of interest that we're going to be talking about, these are applicable in taxable accounts or non-registered accounts here in Canada. If you're somebody that's investing in a TFSA or an RRSP, which are tax sheltered accounts, all this stuff that I'm talking about with capital gains and dividend tax credit, that's all a bunch of, bunch of mumbo jumbo to you. This does not apply. There are a couple odd cases, and we're going to touch on those in a second. But in general, if you're investing in a TFSA, or you're investing in RRSP, you do not pay tax on this stuff. That's why they're such beneficial accounts. This is for a taxable account, such as a cash account or such as a margin account. But to transition in here to US stocks and US dividends, because this is where it does get a little bit unique. If you hold a US stock in your RRSP, let's say for example, and it pays you a dividend, you get to get that entire dividend that's completely tax-free. You do not have to worry about paying a single dollar in tax on those US dividends. If you received US dividends in your TFSA, these dividends are unique because they are subject to a 15% withholding tax. This is not Canadian dividends. Those are completely tax-free. But if you receive a U.S. dividend from a company like Pfizer or a company like Walmart, 15% of that dividend will be withheld by the IRS. Now, when I say withheld, as we've touched on many times, that doesn't mean that you are going to be paying them back. You don't have to fill out a tax slip or a tax form at the end of the year they are withholding that dividend. You are not receiving the full dividend. The IRS will keep 15% of the dividend and what pops into your portfolio is the other 85%. So that is a bit of a unique one. And in a non-registered account, such as a cash account or a taxable account, by default, the IRS will actually withhold 30% of your dividend. And this is where you may have heard of this form called the W8BEN form. You can fill this form out and actually have that amount withheld, deducted or reduced, I should say, to 15%. So it's well worth doing. And I can include a link down, I believe I can include a link down below this video for this exact form if you'd like. On the topic of US investments, before we move on, if you are a Canadian that holds positions, if your positions in US stocks exceed $100,000, so you have over $100,000 invested in US companies within your brokerage account, you do have to fill out a form called the Foreign Income Verification Statement. It's form T1135, and this would be a form that you submit to the CRA, essentially verifying and notifying that you hold these foreign positions. Last but not least on dividends, before we move on, when you drip your dividends, essentially a dividend reinvestment program or a dividend reinvestment plan where you actually just roll your dividends back into your portfolio, that does still count as income. You may think that you can sidestep the whole taxation thing because you're not actually pulling the dividends out in cash. That is not true because even if you do uh, reinvest your dividends and you flow them back into a specific investment, those dividends are treated as though you took them out as cash. Moving along into interest income. And this is a short segment because this is kind of boring, but interest income is taxed at your normal rate. There's really no favorableness. This is just like additional income that you're adding to your uh, taxes at the end of the year. This would include things like 
bonds. If you go out and buy any bonds directly, this would include things such as GICs or term deposits. This would even include things like a high interest savings account, any type of fixed income investment or a debt investment, we could say, where you're essentially lending your money and receiving a fixed interest rate in return. If you do want to get technical about it, there is actually withholding tax on interest income earned. If we're talking here a taxable account, like a cash account or a margin account, on your fixed income US investments, they will actually by default withhold 30% as well. And the W8 Ben form is worth filling out because that reduces that down to 10% as well. Moving along now into the next segment of our video, we will now progress on to talking about tax slips and what you can expect to receive in the mail regarding your specific accounts or the specific investments that you own. And really we're gonna be covering the main three, which are TFSAs, RRSPs, and then taxable accounts or cash accounts. And we can start by knocking TFSAs off the list because if you invest in a TFSA and all of your money is situated in a tax-free savings account, you will receive no tax slips at the end of the year. This is truly a tax-free account, which is why in my opinion, it's the best account to start with for a beginner. If you're young, if you have your money in a tax-free account, don't even worry. That's there's nothing to worry about. Whether you've received capital gains from Canadian stocks, whether you've received capital gains from US stocks like Tesla, if you receive Canadian dividends, that's all tax-free. And to emphasize even your US dividends, you're not filling out a form to pay 15% tax, that 15% tax is withheld. So you will receive nothing with your TFSA. You're so flexible with that account. You can pull money out, do whatever you want. Super, super easy going. RRSPs are a little bit different because with an RRSP, one thing you will certainly receive is what's called an RRSP receipt or an RRSP contribution receipt. Typically, these would be received around mid-January of the new year, which basically looks back and tells you how much money you popped into your RRSP in the previous year. You can obviously use this amount to deduct against your income if you choose to do so. If you make a contribution to your RRSP in the first 60 days of the new year, which you absolutely can do if you're familiar with RRSPs, that would actually be sent as a separate receipt. Just FYI, you'd get that a little bit later on, probably a couple months down the road. But the first thing that you can expect to receive is an RRSP receipt. If you were somebody that withdrew or took money out of your RRSP throughout the year, you would receive a slip called a T4 RSP. If you have a RIF, so a registered retirement income fund, you would receive a T4 RIF or a T4 RIF. This would include money that you are required to take out. If you are a current holder of a RIF, this would apply to people that are a little bit older, 71 plus. They do have actually a, I know we have some Quebec users and they do have in Quebec, you may also receive a form called the RL2 slip. I've actually never heard of that, but I did think it was worth throwing in because I do know we have a lot of people out over in uh, Quebec. In terms of a taxable account, because that's for the RSP and TFSAs, the common ones that you'd see. The taxable account, you may receive a number of forms depending exactly how your investments are structured. But from a base level, a lot of people will receive a T3. A T3 is basically a statement of income from trusts. And by trust, this could be something like an ETF. If you made income or gains from an ETF, from a REIT, a real estate investment trust, a lot of mutual funds, if you own mutual funds, are actually structured as a trust. That's actually quite common as to how they're built. These slips are usually received around the month of March. A T5 would be another very common one that you receive, and this is a statement of investment income, essentially income that you earn from a company. And this would include things such as dividends. If you own any fixed income in a non-registered account, such as a bond, such as a GIC, such as a 
high interest savings account. This would fall under the category of a T5. These are typically received in February. Lastly, we have the T5008, the Statement of Securities Transactions. This would be for dispositions of securities. Essentially, when you sell your stocks, if you had capital gains in a taxable account, this is the slip that you receive that documents all of that. This would include capital gains. This would include capital losses, which we'll talk about in a second. And these are, of course, issued. These are sent out by your dealer or by your broker. So depending on who you're with, you should be receiving these in the mail. This specific slip comes typically in February. One thing that I do think is important to mention before we wrap up this video with some tips and mistakes to avoid, you actually only receive these slips in the mail if your investment income for the year exceeds $50. That said, if you make under $50 in investment income, you're not going to receive a slip, but you do still have to report it. So minor but important. A great example of this is if you use, let's say, an EQ Bank savings account and you have just a little bit of money in there, not enough to actually exceed that $50 minimum or that $50 threshold. Again, you're not going to receive a tax slip in the mail, but you are technically supposed to report that. Now, to finish off today's video, let's end with a couple of very important tips or things to know and actually address a couple of common mistakes that people will make that can be easily avoided if we are aware about them. So think about this as kind of our little takeaway for this video or our little summary. You may have noticed that throughout the video, we have yet to talk about tax loss selling or capital losses or a term that you'll hear for this is tax loss harvesting. And the same way that we can earn a capital gain when our stocks do well and they appreciate in value, the reverse is also true. And if we're talking about a taxable account here, if our stocks actually go down in value and we decide to sell that position and realize the loss, those losses can be used to offset our capital gains. This is a very, very powerful strategy when it comes to your uh, taxation. To go back to our hypothetical example, let's assume that we had that $1,000 profit, right? Our stock went up by a thousand bucks. That's our capital gain for the year. If in our portfolio, we had another stock that was performing poorly, and let's assume that stock was down $500 for this given example. If we decided to sell that stock, realize the capital loss, we can essentially subtract $500 from our gain and our new capital gain, let's call it, would be, well, it would be $500 in this case. It would be, maybe I could have picked better numbers for this example, but it would be the remainder of that. And it would be in this case, $500. Again, we would then take 50% of that. So $250 that would then be included in our taxable income. Capital losses are actually quite versatile and powerful because they don't have to be used in the given year that you sold the investment. They can actually be carried back up to three years. If we want to go back and use them against previous income, we can go back three years or we can carry that loss forward indefinitely. You can think about all the strategies that could be involved with you know, coming to the year end, if you have a stock that's performing poorly, get rid of that stock, do some tax loss harvesting, and that loss can be carried forward to offset some previous gains in the future. It is worth noting one of the common mistakes that people will make is that they'll wait till the very end of the year, let's say December 31st, to make this sale. Keep in mind that because of settlement, stocks have a two-day settlement, T plus two, you'll often have to make the trade a couple days before the end of the year, and that will vary depending on the actual calendar year you know, probably by December 29th or whatever it is, make that sale, just allow time for your stocks to settle. One thing that is super important to note here is what's called the superficial loss rule. And what this rule dictates is that you have to wait a minimum of 30 days after you make this sale. Let's assume you're doing this exact strategy and you decide to sell out of a stock. 
you have to wait 30 days before, well, 31 days. There's a 30 day period where you cannot buy this stock back. Think about it this way. People would be super sneaky about it and they would just, it'd be genius to just go out and sell a stock for a loss and tomorrow or even the same day, go back and buy back into the same stock. That is not allowed. And you have to wait through this little time period or this little window before you can go back and buy the stock. This also applies to a spouse's account. And even in a business account, for example, if you have a number of different accounts within your household, you can't just sell McDonald's here for a loss and then immediately go buy it back in your spouse's account the next day. It all is intertwined and that would actually void the, it would void your capital loss in that case. A couple ways to combat this is to, of course, just wait past that 30 day period. If you can wait a few extra days, you can feel free to go buy back that stock, assuming nothing crazy has happened with it and you still want to own it. Or another very viable option is to just buy a stock that is in a similar category. Think about this. If you own an S&P fund that's provided by Vanguard, you can go buy a very similar product that tracks a very similar index by another provider. That is absolutely okay. If you owned Enbridge stock and it was down for a big loss, you could go find another energy company or a natural gas company that you would like to uh, do almost like a swap with. Very suitable options, but do care for the superficial loss rule because that actually gets a lot of investors screwed. Another tip that would have been a little more valuable about a month ago, if I would have got this video out a bit earlier for you guys, I am filming this here in January. This will become quite apparent as we get to the end of this calendar year, but if you can defer, if you can push off the sale of an investment, let's assume you have a stock like Tesla, which has done really well, you have a large capital gain, if you can defer that to the new year or the next calendar year, you can save a lot of time on paying taxes in terms of when you actually have to fork over that money. Because if you sold a stock, for example, in December, let's assume we went back a month and it's December of 2020, and I decided to sell my shares of Tesla, hypothetically, that capital gain would be triggered in the year 2020, the year where I sold the stock. Whereas if I would have waited a month or a couple weeks and actually sold it in 2021 or the new year, well, then I have a whole year to go through before I even have to think about and worry about taxes. So it's not to say if you feel you need to sell a stock, you sell a stock. I think that should be the main priority. You wouldn't want to, um, I mean, that's the topic for another video. Point being is that if you have a case scenario where you can push it off, you can really defer your taxes. A case where this may be very beneficial too is if you have, let's assume you have a very variable income and this year you're in a super high tax bracket because you're making a ton of money. But for some reason next year, you know you're gonna be making a lot less. You're gonna be in a lower bracket. That may suggest, this may be a case that suggests pushing back that sale to the next calendar year, knowing that you're gonna be in a lower tax bracket. One common mistake to avoid come tax season, which actually happens all the time, when people are trying to move money from their non-registered account into their RRSP, let's assume you got some new RRSP room and you think, hey, I'm just gonna pop some money in. I'm gonna make a transfer within my account to get that deduction. Keep in mind that if you make a transfer from a non-registered account into an RRSP in kind, that is deemed a disposition. Essentially, it's as if you sold the stock. If you had a large unrealized gain 
when you move that over, because that is deemed a disposition, that would actually trigger the capital gain. Now, something also extremely important on that too is that if you had a capital loss, so if you had a capital loss, you think you're being smooth by moving that into your RRSP, that loss does not carry over. You cannot carry that loss over into your RRSP. You will lose that capital loss. So what you can do to combat this as a pro tip is that assuming you know you want to move the money over from non-registered to RSP, actually sell that investment first within your non-registered account. That way you actually trigger the capital loss. Again, that can be carried forward uh, indefinitely as long as you want forward. And then you move that cash over to get the RSP deduction or the RSP contribution. But in finishing off today's video, I'd like to end with a saying that it's a fan favorite here on the channel. There's no question about it. This is something we talk about anytime we cover taxes and it's arguably the most important thing that we've covered in this entire video. And we've covered a lot of important stuff. So put some weight onto this. But the final tip for this video is don't let the tax tail wag the dog. I don't know why people like that one so much. I think it's always funny. I don't know why. But essentially, as investors, as much as this stuff is important, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of money to be saved in taxes. There's a lot that we need to be aware about. But at the end of the day, priority number one, mission number one, is to worry about our investments first. Investments always come first and then taxes come in secondarily and we see where we can refine and see where we can make some money or save some money. A common, common mistake is when people put such an emphasis on their taxes that they actually neglect certain investments. They say, I'm not gonna go buy US stocks because I don't wanna pay withholding tax. I'm not gonna make this, there's a million things you could say and I can't really think of any that comes to mind. but Point being is that your investments come first, next, secondarily comes taxes. And that's the way that it always, always, always should be. At the end of the day, I hope you guys have enjoyed my thoughts and my way of looking at taxes. Again, that's really all this is at the end of the day to re-emphasize, I am not a professional. And if it does come down to your actual taxes and the examples we use today with $1,000, $500 capital gains and losses, that's not going to make or break you at the end of the year. But if you're dealing with hundreds of thousand dollar gains and a little bit more significant money, consult your accountant. But hopefully this video gave you at least some ideas, at least a little bit of clarity as to how things work in the stock market right here in Canada. If you guys enjoyed today's video, I would really appreciate it if you drop a thumbs up. That's really the best way of showing your support. Thank you guys so much for everything on the channel and all the support anyways. But um, yeah, if you're not already subscribed, hit that subscribe button because we post videos like this every single week. And of course we do have our investing Academy. There's a link down in the description below. If you are a beginner to the stock market and you need help and courses and training, and you want to join our community of people all across Canada who are going from look to going and getting their investment set up. There's a link down in the description below to go learn more about that. But as always, I thank you guys for watching. I really hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you in the next video.